it is my pleasure and privilege to open up God's Word with you. So if you do have your Bibles with you, I'll invite you to go ahead and open them up with me to the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark, if you've been with us, we are well into this study now, headed to the fourth chapter this morning as we continue our series in this book, Jesus, Servant, Redeemer, and Friend. We've walked a bit with Mark in this narrative up to the point, but again, you're headed to the fourth chapter. We're going to be looking at the first 20 verses there, Mark chapter 4, 1 through 20. That's where we're headed today. But as you're turning there, I want to begin with a question this morning. And it's a question that kept coming up for me as I read this text and prepared for today. We're just going to jump right into it. It's a question that requires some honest self-introspection looking in your heart. And here it is. What voice is loudest in your heart? What voice is loudest in your heart? You don't need me to tell you that this world we find ourselves in today is rather noisy. Life is full of noise. And the noise, in some sense, is inescapable. And within all that noise, there is this myriad of different voices telling us all different kinds of things, telling us what to believe and how to behave. And whether we realize it or not, every day we are constantly making decisions. We are selecting which voices to tune into and which voices to tune out. This is a bit of a stretch, so stay with me on this. But I think our hearts are kind of like those old switchboards. You know what I'm talking about? Telephone switchboards. Uh, some of us, like me, are younger in the room. Never operated one of these things. I have no idea how it works. But I do know that there's a whole bunch, hundreds of different channels, different lines that lines can be plugged into. And as the operator, if I want to listen to the voice on the other end of the line, I need to do what? I need to plug into that jack to hear the voice on the other side. And so our hearts are switchboards in this sense that we are the operators of our hearts. And we get to decide which voices to plug into. And so the question this morning is, what voice is loudest in your heart? Which voices are you plugged into? There, of course, are voices that we reject and avoid, and there are voices we readily welcome in and accept regularly. And we need to be careful, because the voices we welcome and accept in our hearts are the voices we obey. So if you want to know which voice is dominant in your heart, perhaps a good place to start looking is in the transaction log of your bank account. The voice you allow to be loudest in your heart will reveal itself loudly in your actions. Also in your thought life. What do you spend your time thinking about? What you think about and what you do reflects the voices you have welcomed in to your heart. So I must ask the question again. What voice have you allowed to be loudest in your heart? We're going to see in our text this morning 
a confrontation. We're going to be confronted with a man named Jesus of Nazareth. And do you know what he says to us in this text? Listen. Listen. Listen to my voice. One of the most foundational truths of Scripture, of this book, is that God speaks. God speaks. Are you listening to him? Are you listening to his voice? In this book, God has spoken and invited you and I, sinners as we are, to come and know him. Are you listening? Through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross, he has spoken a loud and clear message to sinners everywhere, saying, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Are you listening to his voice? The point of today's text is to prompt some honest self-examination. What is going on in your heart? More specifically, what is the posture of your heart toward Jesus and the gospel? Is the voice of Jesus loudest in your heart? Or are you plugged in other places? In our text today, Jesus, the divine word of God in human flesh, speaks to us. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I want to pray and ask for God's help for our time in his word. We're, we're going to read the text after that and then we'll, we'll dive into it together. But first... Before we do so, let's pray and ask for his help. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do pause now before we jump into your word together to thank you for it. We thank you for scripture. We thank you for, in this book, speaking to us. And we ask this morning that you give us ears to hear what you have to say. Would you do just that in this room this morning, Lord? Would you speak through your word to our hearts and help us to have sensitive, responsive hearts to you? Take that truth you have for us this morning, for each of us individually. Take it, plant it in our hearts so that it takes root in a way that we not only understand it in our minds intellectually, that it, that it makes sense to us, but more than that, Lord, would you take it and use it to change us? So that it changes how we live, how we respond, what we do, what we think about. Lord, we need you to do that work in our hearts. We know we can't do it on our own. So we ask you to help us in this time. Be with us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, you got your Bibles? Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. This is God's word. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. 
Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown in the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Okay, there is so much good in here. And we're going to do our best to cover as much as we can with the time we have. And there's really no better place for us to start than where our passage begins. And it really helps us set the scene for for what's going on here. These first couple verses do that for us. They weren't put here by accident. Let's read those that lead us into the parable together, starting in verse 1. Again, he, that is Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, and on he goes into the parable. Now, there's a couple things we can point out here. We see what Jesus is is doing. We see where he's doing it, and we especially take notice, as we're intended to, of who he is doing all this with and the dynamics that come along with that. It ties in with the parable. Okay, so what is Jesus doing here? Verse 1 tells us, again, he began to teach 
beside the sea. Jesus is teaching. Which is something that, if we've been reading the narrative up until this point, the first three chapters of Mark, we should be unsurprised to find Jesus doing this. He said he came to do this. He came to preach. He had a particular message. So Jesus' teaching should be unsurprising. Mark says again for a reason. He says he's doing this again because this is already something we've seen Jesus doing in the story. And in fact, he's doing it in the same setting he has already done it in before. He's beside the sea. That is the Sea of Galilee. And you'll also recall that there is a similar audience whom he is teaching. As Mark once again draws our attention to the crowd. The crowd. Look in verse 1 one more time. And he again began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. For Mark, who doesn't really get into a lot of description, this is rather descriptive. He doesn't exactly say it was a sunny day and there was a light breeze and the waves were lapping on the shore calmly. But he does give us somewhat of a picture of what's going on here. And when Mark does that, because he doesn't often, it should cause us to pay attention to what he's trying to tell us. And he is giving us a a, a significant physical scene here. Jesus is where? He's in the boat. Where's the crowd? They're on the shore. Illustrating for us something that Mark has already pointed out in this narrative that Jesus wasn't here to gain fame and to be a celebrity with this great following. No, he was there to preach and to purchase what he preached, the forgiveness of sins. And as we've pointed out in this series before already, because the text, Mark, presents it this way, the crowds aren't exactly what you would call the friends of Jesus. In fact, Mark has already begun to make a pretty clear distinction between the crowd and the true followers of Jesus. Sure, the crowd followed him around. They did that, though, only because they were looking to get a piece of him, just a piece of the pie. Mark says as much. If you just go back a little bit to chapter 3, go back to chapter 3, verse 8. The latter part of that verse, you see this. When when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. Did you see that? Did you notice it doesn't say, when the crowd heard all that he was saying, or the crowd heard his message, they came. No, it says, when the crowd heard what he was doing. Meaning, they didn't come for him. They came for his blessings. They came to get something. They, they thought they could get something from him. That's why they came. Are you listening to this and asking questions about your own heart? Are you following Jesus and hanging out with him to, to get something from him? Or are you following Jesus to receive him for who he truly is? Servant, redeemer, friend. The crowds didn't want Jesus as much as they wanted a quick fix to their problems. And Jesus recognized this. He knew it. So you find him in chapter 3 telling his disciples, make sure you have a boat ready. Why? 
lest the crowd crush him, is what it says. It doesn't sound very friendly. The crowds were not Jesus' friend. And here you find a similar thing in our text. The crowd is on the shore and Jesus is on the boat. And it's done on purpose. Mark is illustrating here what has become evident in the life of Jesus. That there is a difference between hanging out with Jesus and actually following Jesus. There's a difference between fanfare and true discipleship. There's a difference between spending time with Jesus and obeying Jesus. And in this parable, we're going to see there's a difference between hearing the voice of Jesus with your ears and heeding the voice of Jesus in your heart. I really like the way one pastor put it. He said, proximity, proximity to Jesus is not enough. Allegiance to Jesus is what matters. Proximity is not enough. You want to talk about proximity? The people in the crowd spent all kinds of time in proximity to Jesus. But they didn't know him. They didn't even want him. Their bodies were near him. Their eyes saw him. Their ears were hearing his words. But their hearts, their hearts were far away. So here, on this beach, Jesus sits on this boat. And he looks out over the multitude of people on the shore. And among them were the full gamut for reasons for being there. All kinds of different reasons. Surely some people were there because they wanted to be healed. Some people were there because they were curious about this guy, Jesus. Some came seeking rescue from their oppressors. Some came with ill intent. And some, among the twelve at the very least, some came with faith. And to all of them, to this blend of hearers with hearts all over the spiritual map, Jesus gives the same one word command to them all. Listen. Listen. And this same command he begins with in verse 3 is the same he concludes with in verse 9 when he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This command is just that. It's a command. But it's also an invitation. It's at the same time a gracious invitation and a stern warning to those who do not follow it. Such is the purpose of this parable, which we're going to dive into in a moment to the meat of it. This parable is going to show us a couple things. It's going to show us what's, first of all, presently happening in the life of Jesus. What's going on for him at this moment as he looks out over the crowd. What he's going to describe in this parable is currently going on in the hearts of his hearers. Some who were there outright reject him. They want nothing to do with him. Some like him, but, but not enough to withstand trials. Some like Jesus too, but, but they like worldly things more. And finally, some actually receive Jesus for who he truly is in faith. That scene is playing out right before Jesus as he says these words. But in addition to that, th this parable also shows us something that's going on in the present. In the present day, in fact, perhaps even in this room, as the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached 
these heart responses will be present as well. There will be some that want nothing to do with Jesus. There will be some that, that like him, yes, but not more than the world. There will be some that like him, but not enough to withstand trials. And there will be some who welcome him into their heart. So more than those two things, though, most importantly, this parable is intended to cause us to do some serious heart introspection. It's intended to cause us to take seriously this call from Jesus to listen and to examine our hearts to see if we are doing just that or not. Are you listening to the voice of Jesus? And above all, that is where we must start with this parable, by examining what is going on in our own hearts. So as we head into it, we're going to do so with that as our primary focus. Lord, show us what is going on in our hearts and help us to listen. Are you ready to jump into the parable itself? Let's do it. It begins in verse 3. Jesus says this, Listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I wanted to read the parable in full without comment so that you get even a little feel for what it might have been like to hear this for the first time on that beach. At, at face value, what we just heard, it's just a story about a sower who sowed some seeds and a lot of them didn't produce anything. And some did. And in the end, he ends up getting a pretty remarkable harvest. That's the story. What's the point? What's the meaning of the story? No doubt those questions arose on that beach. And this shows us that this story is very much a parable. Meaning without the key, you can't properly understand the meaning. And you might notice that Jesus doesn't give the key here to those on the beach. Why? Why? His disciples were wondering that very same thing. They come to Jesus later and they ask him this. And we know it's later because Mark notes a timeline change here. Did you see that timeline change? In verse 10, it says, And when he was alone, meaning he's no longer with the crowd. What happens when he's alone? Those around him with the twelve. So these are his true followers, not the crowd. There's a distinction here. They asked him about the parables. So they follow up with him on this. They want to know what the parables mean, but we see that they're asking him about parables, plural. So not just this parable, but parables. 
And we see this parable comes up in two of the other Gospels as well. And in Matthew's account of it, we see that what the disciples asked here was, Lord, why do you teach the people in parables? Why do you use parables? In other words, why not just be clear and say what you mean? Why do you use these stories? And Jesus' response is twofold here. On one hand, Jesus uses his parables to direct his teaching to those whose hearts were after it. He says this in verse 11. And he said to them, that's his disciples. Remember, he's alone. He's away from the crowd now. He said to them when they asked him about the parables, to you, this is to his disciples, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. This secret is referring to what was once hidden but is now being revealed. And indeed for them, was being revealed right before their eyes in a person, in Jesus the Messiah. They believed in him and they followed him. And to them, Jesus says, to you, he's going to reveal more insight and more truth. The unbelieving crowds, on the other hand, well, verse 11 says this, but for those outside, everything is in parables. Verse 12, so that... This is a quotation of Isaiah. They may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. These are some strong words here. Okay, this should cause us indeed to be paying attention. Did you notice the word outside in verse 11? Let's read verse 11 one more time. He says to you... He's effectively talking to the insiders in this equation. To you, the insiders, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. You're on the inside. You're following me in faith. But for those outside, everything is in parables. What was Jesus' command? Listen. Listen. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. You do not want to be those on the outside. There's clearly two groups in mind here for Jesus. Those on the inside and those on the outside. Both groups, insiders, outsiders, they're confronted with the same truth. They're given the same seed in this story. They both are confronted head on by the person of Jesus and his same message to repent and believe. But one group has ears to hear. One group listens with their heart and the other group closes the ears of their heart. And so the implication is that one group receives forgiveness and the other, the other does not. Jesus quotes from the prophet Isaiah here who speaks of in a time of God's impending judgment that he was bringing on unbelieving, rebelling Israel. He was going to send them into exile because they had turned away from him. And because they had done that, he judged them by handing them off to the spiritual blindness and deafness they had already chosen for themselves. If we have been confronted ourselves with the truth about who Jesus is, we must take this warning seriously. How do your hearts respond to the voice of Jesus? 
And let's be clear here. Those on the outside, as Jesus mentions them here, they're not denied the opportunity to believe. They're presented with the same Jesus and the same message, and they have rejected that. It is only when they persist in unbelief, when they reject and when they push and they keep pushing Jesus away, intentionally keeping him at an arm's length, that type of resistance is met by Jesus here with parables. But even in his use of parables in this kind of judgment, you can see the grace of God. Who indeed is teaching these parables after all? It is God himself in human flesh on his way to purchase through his shed blood the forgiveness of sins. More than that, the parables do not fully conceal God's truth. Parables in their design, they're actually designed to prompt thought and reflection So for those who are genuinely seeking, for those who want to know more, parables invite that discovery. They invite the discovery of the truth. Why else would Jesus say, listen to the crowd, if he did not desire them to do just that? The truth is, Jesus invites everyone, everywhere, to listen to his voice. And on that boat by the sea, He invited the hard-hearted. He invited the mildly interested. He invites those who were there for the wrong reasons, even the religious leaders trying to kill him. He invites them all to listen to his voice. And through his use of parables, he ensured that those who genuinely wanted to know him, those who wanted to know the truth, they could. And those who already did not wish to understand well they can have that wish come true but for the disciples beyond their their wondering of the purpose of the parables why Jesus used parables Jesus also recognized that his disciples didn't understand the parable itself and thank goodness they didn't because we wouldn't either if he didn't give this explanation so verse 13 he said to them Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Verse 14, he says this. The sower sows the word. And here you have the key to understand the parable. Not the identity of the sower necessarily, but the identity of the seed in the story. The seed is the word. This revelation brings the entire parable into the light. The seed is nothing less than the word of God. And where Jesus in this context on the beach is the sower in this parable, anyone who would teach the word of God in truth becomes the sower in this parable. And the disciples didn't realize it at the time, but they were going to become the sower later in life. God was going to use them to proclaim and teach his truth. Not their own word, not their own teaching, but the word of God. And we see this later on in the book of Acts. What is it that we find the apostles continually teaching time and time again? Acts 4.31, they continued to speak the word of God 
with boldness. Acts 6-7, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. 12-24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. 13-5, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues. 15-35, but Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord. And in chapter 16, as the jailer cries out, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas tell him, believe, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And you know what the next verse says? And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. There are so many voices in this world that we could listen to. But my friends, God's voice, as revealed in Scripture, in God's word, this is the voice that leads to salvation. Jesus says the seed is the word. The Apostle Peter, speaking in in similar sowing terms, I don't know, perhaps maybe thinking of this parable, says in 1 Peter chapter 1 that, that believers are born again. Not of perishable seed, so you see that sowing language, language, but of imperishable seed through, here it is, the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flowers of grass. You know what happens to grass? The grass withers. The flowers fall. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. That's what Peter says. First Peter chapter 1. We call this book Mark. We call Matthew, Luke, John. We call them the Gospels. But from Genesis to Revelation, from beginning to end, this book tells the Gospel story of Jesus Christ. It tells the way to be saved. The Word of God is the Gospel that brings salvation to lost sinners. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Salvation to everyone who believes. Are you listening? Hearing the gospel, hearing the word of God with ears that hear, is what the Spirit uses to transform our hearts. Paul again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We also thank God for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men. This is no ordinary word, but as what it really is, what it really is, the word of God. The word of God, which he says is now at work in you believers Did you know the word of God is at work in the lives of believers? So the question must be asked to you this morning. Is the word of God at work in you? That question is precisely what this parable is intended to ask. As Jesus calls, listen, are you? Are you listening to his voice? You'll notice In the parable that the same sower sows the same seed. Not all of it sprouts. Is there a problem with the sower? Is there a problem with the seed? No. The difference in this story is the type of soil on which the seed is sown. And as Jesus explains one by one the condition of these different types of soil, we are intended to ask as he does so, 
which soil am I? Which soil best describes my heart? What is the posture of my heart towards Jesus? In this parable, he lays out four different heart responses in these four different soils. Let's talk about them. Soil number one is described in verse 15. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes the word that is sown in them. So this soil, in my opinion, can barely fit into the category of soil at all. I mean, this wasn't a a concrete path that Jesus is describing in his day, but it might as well have been. The ground is so hard, you can almost picture the seed practically bouncing off of it. This is describing a hard heart. No doubt the religious leaders who were literally planning to kill Jesus fit into this category. They had hard hearts. You can see on your sermon notes there that this heart can manifest itself, of course, in outright rejection. This is describing people who don't even give Jesus the time of day. They won't even consider or give careful claim to his thoughts. Their hearts are so hard that the seed cannot penetrate even a little bit. This describes very clearly a willfully resistant heart. But before you are quick to say, yeah, 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 I'm not in that category at all. I think this can also describe someone who is so busy and preoccupied that they give no space for Jesus in their heart. They are chronically indifferent and uninterested because they are chronically involved. These people are always doing. They are so go, go, go. They never stop and slow down to think and to contemplate the things of life to contemplate spiritual matters and to ask a question like, what is going on in my heart? All that matters to these type of people is right now. And if you're not winning, you're losing. And Satan snatches away the seed in this case by keeping us too busy for spiritual things that don't really matter. So we must be careful. We must be wary of the hardening of our hearts through the busying of our lives. Soil number two is described in verses 16 and 17. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. This describes a shallow heart. A heart who's initially welcoming to God's word, but really is just searching for a smooth, trouble-free solution to life. The initial welcome in this kind of heart, it's motivated by self-interest. The word is immediately received with, with joy, joyful emotion, because this person thinks they gained something. There's something in it for them. And for many in the crowd, they fit into this category. They, they were happy to follow this guy, Jesus, because he can heal. Have you seen what he can do for you? He's worth following. And this kind of heart, this kind of person is not in love with Jesus. They're in love with the benefits that they think following Jesus can bring. So in verse 17, we see that they simply do not endure when the hard times come. 
Sadly, so many have called themselves Christians until tragedy strikes. Something hard happens. Some think, if Jesus can't keep me from pain and suffering, then what good is he? What kind of savior is he? But unlike what our culture teaches us, what the American dream, which is very much still alive, might tell you, the meaning of life is not pursuing and achieving personal individual happiness and freedom. That right there is rocky soil thinking. If your plan is to avoid pain and suffering at all costs, you might initially receive Jesus with joy, as long as things are going okay. But you're in for a rude awakening. Soil number three, verses 18 and 19. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This thorny soil describes those who are holding too tightly to something other than Jesus. This soil represents a divided heart that has one foot Yes, in the, in the camp of Jesus, but one foot more firmly planted in the world. No doubt, Jesus, he's got some good stuff to offer. I like what he has to say, but I'm not, I'm just not quite ready to let go of my stuff. I, I'm not quite ready to let go of that TV show that, that I really like, that I know I shouldn't watch. I, I really want to follow Jesus, but I, I don't want to give up lust and, and sleeping around. I, I'm not quite ready to give up my comfort I, I like things just the way they are. I don't want to hand him control just yet. I'm not willing to give up fill in the blank. You get the picture. This heart wants Jesus, but wants the world more. Finally, we come to soil number four in verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it. Accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Indeed, any farmer knows that good soil is where a seed can plant deep roots and take hold. So those who fit into this good soil category are those who welcome, welcome the word of God into their hearts to take root deeply you'll notice that what proves this soil to be good soil is that it ends up bearing fruit. When a, when a plant, if you just think about a plant, when it bears fruit, you don't see what is going on underneath the surface. But the fact that it bears fruit is a sign that the roots are healthy, that it's grown deep. And so it is with us. If we want to know if we fall into this category, we must honestly look at the fruit or the lack thereof in our lives. Are you producing fruit? Are you producing fruit? This soil represents a changed heart, meaning that we have welcomed God's spirit in to rearrange everything, to reorient our priorities. And I mean, yes, everything. I put on your sermon notes that, that a changed heart recognizes who its king is. Having good soil means we welcome God to be where he belongs in our heart, enthroned as king, with authority over not just 
some aspects of our life or most aspects of our life, but all of our lives. Even the deep, dark places that we don't want him to go to. We welcome him there. In the heart of one with good soil, God's voice is welcome in all things and at all times. So as we conclude this morning, we must return to the question this parable is designed to make us consider. In your honest assessment, which soil best describes your heart? When we come around to sermon time every week, do you spend half the time distracted? Thinking about how you'll meet the next deadline at work or what you're going to eat for lunch. I get it. Do you brush off reading your Bible consistently because you got more pressing things, more important things going on? You just got so much going on. In this book, we learn indeed one of the most foundational truths and glorious truths in all of life. The God of the universe speaks to us. He speaks to us. Are you listening? That's what Jesus commands us. Listen. Are you? The writer of Hebrews says that God has spoken to us in many ways and at many times, but in these last days, he has spoken to us in an incredibly special way. Through his son. In John's gospel, we see that through Jesus Christ, the Son of God in human flesh, we have an incredible gift of revelation. An amazing way Jesus, God has spoken to us. It's through Jesus. Jesus is the Word of God incarnate. He is the divine Word of God in human flesh. Jesus is the ultimate form of God's revelation to us. And the fact that Jesus of Nazareth exists speaks to the gracious, inviting heart of God, especially towards sinners like you and me. The name Jesus invites sinners everywhere to come, come and be saved. And such salvation, purchased by the shed blood of Jesus, is extended to everyone everywhere who has ears to hear and is listening. Are you? Are you listening? The Bible says that the blood of Jesus speaks. It speaks a loud and clear message. Are you listening? The blood of Jesus paid the price for all the sin of every sinner who might come to him in faith. The blood of Jesus speaks an invitation to come. Come and be saved. Believe on Jesus and you will be saved. Are you listening? The gracious invitation of the shed blood of Jesus is clear. But what is also clear is the earnest warning. Do not reject do not reject him who speaks. Do not harden your hearts. Do not waver at the presence of pain. Do not neglect such a great salvation for the momentary pleasures of this world. Put your trust in Jesus right now. Cling to him and he will cling to you. Listen to him. Welcome him into your heart and let him plant root there. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Would you stand and we'll close together in prayer.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you are a God who speaks. And we are so thankful that you have invited us into a relationship with you, sinners as we are, because of the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. We want to be those who do have ears to hear, Lord. Would you open the ears of our heart to hear what you have for us today and evermore? Give us sensitive hearts, Lord. Give us responsive hearts as we go from here. I want to pray right now for anybody in this room who maybe has not responded to that invitation before, that you give them right now, right here, ears that hear. Help them to respond to you in faith. We know this is something we can't do on our own, so we need you to do it in our hearts, Lord. Would you do that with us? Be with us as we go. Give us ears that hear, we pray. In the name of Jesus and through the Spirit. Amen.